Hello, it is me, Ronald, and we are back with another episode of the Aroma Japan podcast. I am joined this month by my co-host, Hannah. Hello, fellas. So we are covering September this episode, and September had some interesting stories in it. But um, the biggest story probably of the month would be the unfortunate suicide of the actress Takeuchi Yuko. Hannah, um, do you want to tell the listeners a bit about this story? So Takeuchi Yuko is a very well-respected, much beloved actress in Japan. You can almost call her like, I don't think she's had a scandal ever, right? I was talking to other people about it and we couldn't really come up with like at least some recent memory scandals that she had been involved in. But her suicide, unfortunately, sparked a lot of familiarities and echoes to Haruma Mura. And the reason for that is because they... Well, first off, they were co-actors. And in fact, they were actually supposed to schedule in a drama this year, I think, right? Because I remember like when I first heard the news of her death, I was on Twitter and someone was like posting something like, oh, look at her and Haruma here, like by the water in Hong Kong, like eating ice cream and laughing. They're so happy. And now they're both dead due to suicide. And I'm just like, oh God, that's really harsh, and but real. Yeah, and it, it actually echoes a lot of Watanabe Mayu's like retirement from the industry just entirely. I think that happened in like August, but the reason for that is because there is such a pressure, particularly like basically like nowhere else in the world, um, in Japan and maybe some of the other Asian countries to put up this front. You have to be absolutely perfect. And people rip you apart for the smallest thing. And I feel like while they hadn't been involved in any of these scandals at all, um, Haruma, Watanabe, and Takeuchi all were kind of very, they were so um fearful of any sort of scandal that they couldn't even let their guards down in private like that's how bad it was mm. one of the things that they said about yuko's suicide is that it very well could have been in part postpartum depression yeah and it was actually really surprising to see like the kind of reaction that got from the Japanese public because postpartum depression is something that is kind of like de facto acknowledged almost in Asia. So it's like the one mental illness that you can actually like discuss so to speak. I wouldn't even say discuss. I mean like it's still you know it's still the stigma of you can't discuss it at all but there are traditions that kind of subtly suggest that they acknowledge that it exists, right? 
like each of the Asian countries literally has something around the mother is not allowed to do any work for three months after the birth, like give or take. I want to say like three months. I know in China, it's like three months. In Korea, it's 100 days. In Japan, I think it's three months. I don't remember. Um, But every single one of those is like, we want the mother to recover. And then the little subtext there is we want the mother to recover mentally too. Mm. Mm. But it is is definitely like a sad story that like, it's just been like a string of suicides recently because the first one was um, Miura Haruma and then we had, after that, we had, um, we had uh, Ashina Sei, and then Fujiki Takahashi, and then Takeuchi Yuko. And we actually had one on Sunday. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 20th of October, and we actually had another suicide of a celebrity on Sunday, which was Akai Koen's, basically the band's creative mastermind, Suno Mesa. She was the guitarist of, for the band and she was also the lyricist and composer for the band too. And she also had went and created songs for acts such as SMAP and Morning Musume as well. And it's really sad because I think the one that you're forgetting is Kimura Hana, who oh. kind of like kickstarted everything, right? She was the like first really, really big one at the beginning of the year. And I think I think the thing reason I think of it because like personally I think of because the first part of the year seems very very blurry to me. It seems like it almost seems disconnected, doesn't it? it? Because of COVID, because her death happened before COVID, so it seems like something very very far away. Like it could have been like in 2019, but it did happen this year. And I completely this sounds sounds bad, but I completely forgot that it even happened because of the fact that just like it's so disconnected from this year. The we have like a mind before COVID and after COVID. <laughs> because I'm just looking at one of the articles that was released about um, Yuko suicide. And one of the government officials was talking about how basically what he said was that he acknowledged it from like the summer with Miura's. Yeah. And then he continued from there about how like there's been a string like this summer. So it's like, it's like Hana Kimura's was like completely separate, so to speak. Basically. And I feel like in a sense, I kind of lump Kimura Hana and Mesa's together. Right. And then. So, speaking to that though, the New York Times wrote something about, um, about all these sudden celebrity suicides recently. And it was, um, what they said is that pretty much suicides, well, Japan was actually doing better with their suicide rate. And then Mm -hmm. suicides increased 16% year to year in August. And that there had been, among teenage girls and women in their 20s and 30s, it had increased 74% over the course of August to August. Yeah, and I feel like we're seeing it among women in particular 
differently. Like, so the reason why suicides actually dipped a little bit beforehand is because we actually think working from home helped people out a lot, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're home, you're together with your family. Not only are they there to kind of like guard you, you're actually probably somewhat happier that they're home, right? But the economic downfall that is associated with this pandemic that has been so like devastating to many, many people um, tends to hit people on the fringe the first, right? Mm-hmm. And women are considered the financial like gatekeepers in Asia, right? There's this joke that the that the dad hands over his wallet to his wife and gets a gets like an allowance, right? In Japan. Mm-hmm. And so when the family does bad, sure, it's like kind of the dad's fault, but it's really supposed to be the mom's fault. Hmm. And so that's why you're seeing this trend. I don't think any of the celebrity suicides had much to do with that, but I do think that is a very large reason why it spiked so hard. And in fact, I actually do think like there's been a lot of discussion around like, what does it mean to be in a prolonged pandemic recession? Mm-hmm. Because, like, some people were, like, in the New York Times article, which, by the way, was written by two Japanese women, two women of Japanese descent. It wasn't written by... So I know that sometimes people are like, oh, the New York Times is talking about Japanese suicides, but, like, no, the women that actually wrote it are Japanese women in Japan working for the New York Times. But um, they were talking about how, like, the things that saved Japan from having a massive outbreak of coronavirus may have been the thing that is causing the suicide. It isn't just like Japanese culture itself. Yeah. Like you were saying about like trying to like, because there's been a lot of like people who are saying just like, why isn't Japan having such a bad outbreak? And they're just like, well, they already, they already wear a mask and they're not that like touchy feely like people in Europe with like the air with the kisses and the handshake and all that. But then also, too, it's kind of just like people in the West are more likely to talk about their mental conditions where in And I do think there's a lot of truth to it, right? Because that ties back to the entire like Watanabe Mayu, Mira, um, Yuko thing, where a lot of these like, albeit thank God, like Mayu is not nearly as irreversible as the other two. Um, we're talking about serious conditions that were basically precipitated, not necessarily by some sort of like, I don't necessarily want to pathologize them, right? I don't personally, I'm not personally privy to any of their conditions, but um, there's definitely a sense of like, this is a social problem where you literally have people who cannot cry out for help because it is disrespectful to even admit privately that you may need any sort of assistance, 
right? It disturbs the atmosphere. Yeah. Like no it one really, really is. It's just like you talking about you being depressed is bringing down the whole mood of everybody else. So please keep that to yourself. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, that sucks. But okay, you should have been stronger, I guess you could say. I mean, it's a really sucky way to live, but I guess like you kind of have to be like mentally strong because if you show any sort of mental weakness, that's like your own thing you have to deal with. And you're not really gonna get that much sympathy versus here where you will. Yeah, and it's it's actually really shocking how unforgiving Japan is of the smallest mistakes, unless you're a man and you belong to an agency like Chinese, right? And even for men, oh it's like pretty, it's like pretty, it's pretty unforgivable. Something that people have been talking about though, is that one of the reasons why this may have been happening with celebrities in particular is because like the entertainment industry right now is so important. Like it's kind of just like, you can't really have tours. You can't have stage plays. You can't have, they're not doing like movie shoots and drama shoots. I mean, like they're coming back to an extent but the industry is not in full force like it was at the beginning of the year. So there's like this big uncertainty among celebrities about what their future prospects are. And when you have these things that are canceled, that's like money you don't have coming in and you can suddenly find yourself in debt. I definitely think that was a problem, but I don't know if that was a problem for these celebrities. Mm-hmm. Like the celebrities that we're talking about, we're talking about the cream of the crop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? We're not talking about just anyone. Like Akai Cohen was doing extremely well. Um, you had like Mira and Yuko were booked for basically like years on end, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not talking some no-name nobodies. We're we're talking, literally in the West, it'll be the equivalent. It will be the equivalent of like Brad Pitt, right? Somebody who is like super super popular and like basically, basically, um. Like without them, you probably didn't have a drama running <laughs> level. Pretty much like it was the reason why. Like, oh, we have this script. No one wants to do it. Oh, Miyota Haruma signing on? Oh, okay. Yeah, and then that's that's when everybody else would sign on. But um, in the article about Mesa's there was something that came out from the Japan Entertainer Rights Association a couple of weeks ago after the death of Yuko, which said that they made a statement on their site saying that there needs to be more done to protect the mental health of entertainers. So the fact that this is like just now being said by a entertainer rights association is kind of bizarre to me. I would think that they would have thought about that like further in advance rather than like after a string of celebrity deaths 
Yeah, it's almost cool. like yeah, we should probably do something because you know we're yeah. Supposed to be like that is bizarre to me. I mean, that's literally a question of like, how many times do we need to go through this before you even say anything, right? Like, when are they really gonna start suing? <laughs> is it going to be like, I don't know, God forbid, like something terrible happens, right? But terrible, how many like, times yeah. do we? I don't even want to imagine it. Like, what, two years ago, we had the jury no thing. That was pretty terrible. Nobody. Somebody dying. No, I'm saying that was pretty terrible. And I was like, okay, so like maybe they should do something about like online harassment, right? If. But then that also got me thinking like, Sawajiri Erika's was also pretty bad. And that was also. It was basically constant online harassment. She got fired from everything that she was involved in for Which one bad one? interview. Like the Betsuni thing or was this like Yeah. No, it was it was the first time the Betsuni thing. Like that was terrible. Um she says one wrong answer at an interview and basically her entire career was done with. Mm. It was constant harassment for like months on end. Right? Mm-hmm. I would consider it probably on par with Jurina's harassment, like right after her Sosenkyo win. The two of them are pretty equivalent, yeah. Mm. And I'm just like, okay, so those two were pretty severe. We all know what happened to both of them, right? One is completely retiring from entertainment. The other one, the other one, TBD on whether or not she's fully recovered. I don't think she is. Um, but then I was like, okay, so perhaps you guys should start doing something. And they decide to wait until like 15 celebrity suicides later. Right. Yeah. This is pretty late. (laughs) It's a grim situation. And like, I don't want to be like that person, but like when you have like this string where it's like basically like there's well since July with Miora there's been like one or two a month yeah this is worse than the Korean spree and I thought that was pretty bad yeah so basically it's kind of just like well who will it be this month it's like a really I mean I don't mean to like make a joke out of it but like it's kind of like it really is at that point now where it's just like okay who else will it be this month? Who are the two for November? Who are the two for December? It's just like that you really start to think like that when you have this pattern. It's really sad because I almost want to say that um, when Jurina happened, I was like, we need, there really needs to start being action about online harassment, right? And then when Kimura Hana happened, I was like, surely there will be action now. Right. Because now we have now we have not just somebody breaking down mentally, but like direct murder like correlation. Right. In the United States, the person who posted that original story would have been prosecuted for murder. Right. That's that's actually a felony charge right there. But nothing's happened. 
in the months since, we haven't seen any action, and all we've seen are just people passing away. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is grim, to say the least, but um, we're going to move on to something a bit lighter now, and um, that would be Arashi. And so, their rebrand. <laughs> so basically, the one, the, well, the main thing that happened with them was that they released another English song, Whenever You Call, which was written and produced by Bruno Mars, the man who has no musical identity. I don't like Bruno Mars. I never have. I think he's what? I think Bruno Mars is corny. I think he has no music. Oh, oh my God. We're going to have an offline discussion. Remember my thing that I have about about people and artists having a strong identity? I feel like Bruno Mars... You can't say that when you follow Sheena Ringo. She has a very strong identity. Yeah, that she's changed like three times over the course of her entire music career. Please, it's been twice. I mean, it's it's been once. It was one change. Anyways. Which actually that change isn't really that, um, isn't really that um, random because there are a number of people who are alternative figures who then turn into like right wingers. Like I think of Morrissey, for example. We're going to continue. I don't like Bruno Mars. I think he's corny. I think that he has no musical identity, which yeah. actually really lends itself well to writing songs for other acts. Because, like, I mean, if you don't have an identity, you can just give a song to anybody and, like, it'll work perfectly fine, right? I guess so. So, But it um, did not this time. I actually liked the song to an extent. I, it, it gave me, like... It gave me, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like, boy band. And, like, I sent it to a friend who's like familiar with them. And he was just like, yeah, I'm getting like late nineties, early two thousands boy band. And then they were doing all these interviews and like doing like random, like YouTube, TikTok dance challenge videos. And I'm just like, and like, I, and one of my, one of my friends, he like sent me a YouTube TikTok dance challenge video of Arashi. And he was like, how does this have like over a million views? And I'm just like, Japanese fans? But it's just like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, I don't know. I mean, like them being 40 doing TikTok YouTube dance challenges. Eh, I don't know. I'm like, who? I just think of, I think of them in the West and I think of like, who is the audience? Who is this for? What are you trying to achieve? I also think of just like, aren't you guys retiring like in at this point, two months? What is the point of this? I'm confused. Are you confused, Hannah? I mean, okay. So I think if this was 15 years earlier, I would have been thrilled out of my mind. I mean, granted at the time I would have been an Arashi fan, right? Like that was that was peak Arashi period for me, but I think like 
now it's kind of like they want they were clearly banking on the Olympics having some sort of impact and then doing this billboard interview after right Mm -hmm. because they were interviewed by like the Grammys too and like I think like iHeartRadio and I'm just like who is the audience for this like do you suddenly expect like all these people to suddenly know who you are like I'm just confused like like where was the introduction actually you're right like the introduction was supposed to be the Olympics because all most of this stuff is happening after the Olympics were supposed to happen so I guess the introduction so we pretty much have like it's kind of like um you know how you have like a drama and then you have a movie sequel for the drama we're watching the movie sequel for the drama that was never aired. No, we're watching the movie sequel for the drama for the drama's movie sequel, right? Because usually the movie sequel does well and then they make a second one that you know clearly should have never been aired and so it goes straight to VHS. But there's no, there's no like backstory here though. There's no introduction. It's kind of just like, hey, we're like making songs in English and we're kind of just like, you know, like 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 the one that I really liked, which was um, Turning Up. I was like, this is cute. This is like for your like existing fans. Like, this is cute. I like this. This is a moment. But then like this like continual process and like trying to like go deeper and deeper into the West. And I'm just like, this is a lot of stuff for people who like, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm thinking of, like, how many Arashi fans are really reading Grammys.com? Like, that's, like, a, that's, like, a pretty much, like, a, like, a more mainstream music listener site. That's not really... It was also really weird because the Grammy interviewer clearly had no idea what they were talking about, which is exactly why I was confused. I was, like, did this person think they were interviewing BTS? Like, they're even dressed exactly in the same clothes as um, BTS was interviewing in like two months ago. This it is the was... where, where, where Hannah talks about BTS. By the way, we're gonna, do, we're, gonna do a little, we're gonna do a little interjection right here. So I was with Hannah on Saturday and Hannah, <laughs> where did you take me on Saturday? So there's this thing called cup sleeve events, which you can find out more about if you listen to our soloist podcast. And Ronald has never been to a cup sleeve event because they are predominantly wait, only wait, K-pop when things. When did we talk about cup sleeve events? I think towards the end. Or maybe it wasn't part of the special. I think the, oh, I know what it was. It was when Tim was talking about the JL1 cup sleeve event in Sydney. That was something that was like, I was like, that was before the discussion. That was before, that was pre-discussion. Ah, okay. So, yes. Prior to the female soloist discussion, um, we were talking about cup sleeve events. And Ronald was like, I have no idea what a cup sleeve event is. So I was like, let's get dessert at K-Town. And I knew in my head, um, just calculating, I knew it had to be some K-pop star somewhere's birthday. And therefore, once, like, Saturday evening, 
in New York City, there's going to be a cup sleep event. <laughs> and in New York City, there are only four locations for a cup sleep event, like ever. Although they've started spreading out. Um, so we went to one of these and it was for BTS's Jimin. So happy Jimin Day. It's <laughs> true. It was, that was me pretending to be that botched guy. I think he was Australian or British that was on Dr. Phil that was like trying to look like him. He was like, we're twins. It's true. It's true. <laughs> very, very. Low. Yes. I went to a BTS cup sleep event. And this is where we go back to talking about Arashi. So like, okay. So Hannah said before that this is going to be the part that gets her canceled because I'm not, I don't care about BTS fans and ARMY. I mean, like for those who follow me on Twitter, you guys will saw that I recently took on a bunch of dumbass twice fans. Um, but moving on, Hannah, why are you talking about us getting canceled? Well, you getting canceled because of BTS and Arashi. Well, that's more the the cancellation will probably come afterwards because I'm going to say something heretical for an army. But I would say this is going to get my Johnny's fandom canceled because I actually think. Um, Arashi decided to go ahead with all of their, of their like supposed to be post Olympics promo because they saw that BTS was gaining traction and they were like, oh, we could just copy what they did. Oh, it God. is so lazy. <laughs> it's such a it's such a mindset of like if you get coverage, people will listen to you. It doesn't it doesn't take into consideration that like you have to get people to listen to you first. Okay, so here's my issue with the whole Arashi thing. I think that this would be cute if they made like an English song for fans. I don't think this is a good idea from a business standpoint to push a 40 year old boy band who's gonna retire in two or three months on the international. Right? Like this would make sense for like, this would make sense for anyone that is beneath Oh my God, give me Snowman. Give me King and Prince. I've oh been God. asking for King and Prince on streaming since they came out. Oh my God, can you imagine me interviewing Hirano's show? Okay, for those of you who don't know, Ronald really loves Hirano's show. He has a very strong jaw and very veiny forearms. It is very ronald's type <laughs> oh i think this has been established though because i remember like fan like um like not okay what was i gonna say i remember like some of their fans when they were doing that um when him and that boy from sexy zone were doing that drama some of their fans were like sending me like their little like bl looking photo shoots they were doing together as like here, Ronald, thank you for all your work for the site. Here's a gift. And it's like them like feeding strawberries to each other. And I'm just like... Yeah, and it's like... Thanks, I guess. Give us Snowman. Give us, like, Snowman, I'm literally looking at it right now, right? They literally have 7.1 million views on their music video. I actually think it would be good to push them. Like Snowman, okay, people who should have gotten a Rashi's current promo. Snowman, King and Prince, um, Stones, um, even like Sexy Zone. I mean, Sexy Zone no. is more No, no, I no. Mean, no. Like, you do it with yeah. a new group, 
So if you're going to do is, this sort of like inorganic promo, you do it with a new group. You don't do it with an old group. Here's the thing. My niece, who's eight, knows who Sexy Zone is because of Fuller House. Like Fine. an eight-year-old literally has been like, oh, Jap- you listen to Japanese music? Do you know Sexy Zone? Do you know Marius Yo? And I'm like, wait, how do you know who that is? <laughs> He's like, he was on Fuller House. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I'm, it's just like completely bizarre that my niece was just like, do you know who Sexy Zone is? No, but like that also gets into another rant that I have, which is you look at all of the promos that Arashi has gotten and none of it actually even comments on the fact that Kazunari actually won an Academy Award like decades ago. Right? Because it was decades ago and no one no one wants to like no one is checking for Arashi's acting skills in the West. You know, but I'm saying that like they have this habit of just completely restarting. They never build off of things. So if they push sexy zone tomorrow, you can for sure know that they would completely abandon. The entire Fuller House thing. I don't because think they, they would just be like, whatever. I don't think they would because that would be that at least would be an intro on like what Arashi has had. So um, I'm trying to think of like who else. Okay, definitely not ABCZ because they're complete flops. Um, six tones. Six. Okay, so yeah, so let's do a little list. We did a little list before. Okay, so King and Prince, Stones. It's not six tones. It's Stones. The I six tones. Stones. Um. Um, um, snowman, like I think. No, but even those he, should be the three. I, I feel like it's too old for it at this point. No, all the other groups are too old for it. I just think those three, right? The two that debuted this year and King and Prince mm-hmm. should have gotten this promo like ages and ages ago. Well, they just how are you gonna get the promo ages and ages ago if they debuted this year? Well, I'm saying that like imagine, imagine. I mean, granted, the idea of Johnny Johnny's going digital is like beyond belief. But imagine if right before their debut single, which by the way, everyone should check out. It was really, really good. Um, and I would have put it on my freaking mm-hmm. playlist if it was for streaming. Oh my God. Had- that reminds me of the other day when I was on Twitter and I was just like, I've had I've had King and Prince's Maisie Night in my head for like the past couple of days. And someone was just like, oh, like, where can I stream this? And I was just like, <laughs> illegal YouTube video. Oh, you sweet summer child. I can't even get it on YouTube. <laughs> oh, there are a ton of Maisie Night videos on YouTube. There are even ones that oh, are there, like- Oh, there are. They're just not legal. There are a number of ones that are show focused. I mean, I mean, let's put that aside. Like, I can't put it on my Spotify list. Oh my god, that this, is reminds a- me, this reminds me the only the only Johnny's group that has their entire video that has all their videos on YouTube in full is fucking um V six. Yep. For their twenty fifth anniversary, they got all of their videos on YouTube. Well, so, technically, yeah. technically, it's Snowman like has all of their videos on YouTube because they only have two. This is dumb. Yeah. Um, 
I just don't, I just don't get, like, I like the changes that are happening at Johnny's, but I just don't get the point of just like, oh, this, the choices. Group, is like on the, this group is like literally on their deathbed. <laughs> Nothing not that's like, okay, they're on their deathbed as in just like, they have an end date. Yeah. Like, I, I don't get the point of doing all this pushing to like, for, for what, two more months of existence? Like, no, take all that money pump it into like snowman or stones or king and prince like it actually makes no sense like there's zero purpose in it. and i don't want to hear it, that crap about a thank you to our fans because like the fans are gone i mean like i used to be i i actually was right there during you know the entire like hanayori dango phase right mm-hmm. Love so sweet and all that. Yeah, 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 like, holy crap! I think if I played Love So Sweet right now, my brother would actually recognize it. That's how much I played it. He hates J-pop. Um, but I want to actually say, like, all the fans have moved on. Accessibility is the name of the game, and if you're not accessible, people are not going to stay for you. Unless you're the freaks like us who who have like been like ah, oh. like like you're you're past twenty years at this point. I'm nearing twenty years, but it's just like oh, things have only become accessible in like the past two or three years. No, but I've noticed myself getting lazier, right? I've noticed you getting lazier too. <laughs> I mean, putting aside how lazy I've gotten, no, I'm you're talking not, about you're kind, of, you're kind of just like. Where is it on streaming? I can't exactly. Stream it. Exactly, that's exactly how I think about everything Where's now. The, like, there's a Spotify link. I would have put that song on, but it wasn't on Spotify. Exactly. Like, if you're not okay, the farthest I'll go is I will buy your stuff, right? If I can't buy it legally, I'm not gonna bother. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, fuck you. <laughs> well, someone else that was told to fuck you the other this um in September <laughs> was um Yumi Matsutoya. Oh god. <laughs> and this is actually something that you translated for us, Hannah. So okay, so on August 28th, Shinzo Abe, the man who was the prime minister of Japan, who has, um, he, people have mixed feelings about him. He, some love him, some hate mixed him. Mixed feelings. Mixed feelings, huh? 80% disapproval rating. <laughs> well, what was it before COVID? I was think it, in- it was low 30s approval. Hmm. Well, um, he decided to um, resign due to ulcerative colitis. Which, <laughs> okay. Okay, this is um, really bad, but like on Twitter when he resigned and I found out it was because of that disease, I called, because I don't like him personally, I called him Shitso Abe. Um, <laughs> I think that's pretty clever on my part. I can be tasteless okay. for people who are tasteless. Context? I mean, he- for those who don't understand, the last time Shinzo Abe stepped down, 
he also said it was because of ulcerative colitis and we all knew it was fake <laughs> so that's why when he was like i'm gonna step down we were like oh i guess things are getting too bad <laughs> So these are Hannah's, okay, so basically what happened is that on August 28th, he stepped down, and that also happened to be the same day that Yumi Matsutoya hosts her um, monthly radio show, Yumi Matsutoya All Night Nippon Gold, and so she commented on the resignation, and she said, I cried a bit watching the television announcement. The resignation was really sad. feel we share the same values, we're the same age, and we have the same romantic view of seeing how things are. Even though I'm talking about his resignation, I mean, even I'm talking about this due to his resignation, the couple have a strong relationship too. She further revealed her close ties with the Ade family. There were mixed emotions about this among the public, but there was a professor in Kyoto named Shirai Satoshi, who was not very happy about this. And to say the least. <laughs> look, this is what he wrote on Facebook. She should have just ended her career early as Yumi Arai, which is her maiden name, rather than doing these sorts of disgusting acts. I honestly think it would be better if she had just died than stain her legacy like this. She's deteriorating just like post-war Japan. Aging is definitely a cruel thing. I mean... Okay, by the way, by the way, you, like, translated this, but I think this is, like, probably my best headline ever for the site, which is, Yumi Matsutoya mourns Shinzo Abe's resignation is told to die. Yeah, like, okay, I I empathize, right? I, I get it. I get why he feels this way. It sucks realizing that your fave or your stan is such a scumbag, right? I used to like Big Bang. I'll admit, I used to like NGT. Okay, so if she's a so if she's a if she's a part if she's an LDP supporter, she's automatically a scumbag. We're talking about one of the worst recessions that Japan has on record. Right. Right. Like, and granted, like, he's done some sort of um, benefits, but it's, it's that feeling of, like, too little, too late. It's that feeling of him, like, playing with his dog with E. Shoni playing in the background. Oh, my God. That's, that's actually, like, a good way to put it, where it's kind of like, it's the entire, it's a gif of like, hello, fellow kids, right? You're for trying. Those who, for those who don't know, on Easter Sunday, Shinzo Abe, okay, so Ishoni is basically, I forgot the name of um, Hoshino Gen's song, I just call it Ishoni. So pretty much like Hoshino Gen released like a stay at home song to like kind of like boost people's spirits during stay at home measures when coronavirus was raging in Japan. And basically, it's like ishoni, which basically is to, it means together in Japanese. Pretty much saying just like, hey, if we all stay home and we all like do our due diligence, and when we beat this, we'll all be able to come together again and dance and have fun. So a lot of people went and like made their own versions, and then Shinzo Abe posted a video of him playing with his dog in his living room, and with the song playing in the background, people were just like, fuck you. 
Like we're in this situation because you didn't take it yeah. seriously. You were just like, oh, it's not serious here. It's not serious here. Get ready for those Olympics. And then they were like, the Olympics aren't happening this year. And they're like, oh, by the way, we're going to go on lockdown now. And there were people, I remember like reading like people on Twitter responding to it. And they were just like, they were basically just like, he's sitting here in his luxurious home playing with his dog. His living room is the size of my entire apartment. Like I had to stay in this apartment for two months. Meanwhile, he gets to like roam his palatial home. This isn't fair. Yeah, and it's just, it's, I understand his rage because there was just such a sense of like, you literally have this country where people have been suffering now for decades, right? For those of you who did not see it, Bloomberg actually had an amazing an amazing, amazing piece about Japan's lost decade. Please, please, please oh, go read it. The, um, the one about the Hikikomori. Yeah. And it explains the phenomenon because I feel like particularly for if you are an American or a European who has grown up in the past 10 to 12 years, it should sound very familiar because essentially you're going through the same phenomenon, right? where you're growing up through, they call it a recession, but it was it was very close to a depression, right? We should explain the article. Like so so the, the gist of it basically was, was that like, um, so basically when the economy crashed in the early nineties in Japan, they had this whole, so for those who don't know, Japan has slash had, which is not really so much of a thing anymore, this thing of just like, if you go to college and you get a job, you are guaranteed that job for life. So basically what happened is that when the economy crashed in the early 90s, there was what they called a, um, a hiring ice age. So the people that were coming out of college were trying to apply to jobs and there were no jobs. Yep. And so basically, because basically what happened is that the companies were trying to protect their workers who are already in those jobs. So they want to hire, they didn't want to hire any more to protect those other older workers. So basically you ended up having these people who were fresh out of school, completely qualified qualified for these jobs and there were no jobs. So these people basically went from being the next successful generation to basically like working in family mart part-time. Yeah. And the thing that I think is so important comes in the front first line right first line opens with and it's like one of my favorite first lines in journalism for the year like the doors only open once right mm-hmm. that is the thinking in this part of the world because it's not just japan korea and china think that exactly the same the doors only open once and that one time is when you graduate from college they will never open again and so and mm-hmm. the thing that got to me about it is that the people who now, okay, by the way, that was like really shady in the article, how they basically point out like the one guy basically does nothing but attends like morning Musume concerts. <laughs> how does he was, afford that? 
his parents, his parents, this guy's like literally like, and that's the other, the big part they were talking about too, is that like these people are now like getting into their forties and fifties. Well, they already are in their forties. They're approaching their fifties. And then, yeah. so their parents pretty much, they lived with their parents their entire lives and their parents are literally about to die. So what do you do with these people in their forties and fifties who have never really experienced society? They, they've never really had permanent jobs. They, um, they're not married. They don't have kids. They don't have any like real friends, relationships or anything. The only people they really have contact with are their parents. So like pretty much like, how do you, what do you do with these 50 year old children essentially once their parents die? Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's really a societal problem that Japan has been faced with. But this is one of just like many, many aspects. But the thing that got to me besides the doors opening thing is the fact that like those people are saying like they're looking around right now and they're kind of just like, oh, this is about to happen again. Yeah. And it's already started happening too because like there have been companies who said like, we're not doing any recruiting this year for new Tons graduates. of them. Tons of them. Like, um... I know JAL said something like that. They're like, yeah, we're not bringing on any new graduates this year. So basically, like, you're going to be, there's going to be like another hiring ice age because of coronavirus. So basically, there's a bunch of people who are graduating from college, like, this year and next year who will just like, there will be no opportunities for them. Yeah. Like, in Korea, there's a joke. When are you writing your thesis? Right? Because you need to write a thesis to graduate. And so what people do when they can't find a job is they just continually apply to schools and they stay in school forever because there's no other alternative. Mm. It's, it's really terrible, but like that should give you a sense of the kind of desperation that people are faced with. Right, in Japan. Linking back to like our first topic, this is also probably why the suicide rates are rising up too. Because in that yeah. article, we were saying how like it's even worse for women. Oh yeah, like, okay. So what always gets me, um, a couple of years ago, there was a very, very high profile scandal wherein a bunch of med schools were caught rigging women's test scores down. Um, in order to make sure that they did not pass the exam, right? But what always got me about that is that no one ever focused on the fact that you went from like, maybe it was like 20%, I think, of women passing. And then after the interviews happened, that 20% shoots down to five. Hmm. But um, but then going back to our original topic, when this Yuming story came out, um, Oomph on Twitter posted about how Yuming isn't exactly the um, Yumi Matsutoi is a classist, and this is very clearly known in Japan. Because in interviews, she had said things such as just like, she makes music for the bourgeoisie. 
She doesn't want uneducated people like construction workers attending her concerts. So she has a very, she makes, she has a particular aesthetic and she only wants people who are part of her social class to basically be her fans. But that's, that's where it gets really odd, right? Her social class is a social class that is being hit with like half of these things, right? The current spate, for example, of like um, being worked to over death, every single one of those suicides is from Densu. Densu is the, is the circle of the upper class. Mm -hmm. Everyone is a Densu graduate. <laughs> For those who don't know, explain Densu, because so, Densu, Densu has a very nice tower in Tokyo. I will say that. They're building okay. Densu is a marketing consulting company. They are extremely powerful, basically control everything, mostly because they control all the slots and all the bookings, right? And when you control like both sides of the market, you kind of control everything. And when so, you're talking about a market that is marketing, right? Like that is all commercial advertising in Japan. You're talking about like probably one of the most powerful uh, markets in the world, right? So correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't like, remember the whole burning thing? Like the whole like revelation about burning came out a couple of years ago. Isn't burning part of Dentsu? No, I think. Burning and Densu are different, but they are very closely aligned. Because mm. there, there was like another company that actually is really part of Densu. A what lot was? of companies are very uh, Close closely linked. Oricon is them. Mm. Right? They actually minority own AKS, which no longer exists. They minority own Madhouse. No wonder they can build such a nice tower. Yeah. Like you're creating all the commercial ads and you're doing all of those like recommendations. And then all the other side, you're consulting on like how to buy those ads and how to place them. You control everything at that point. So this from so people were kind of just like going back to the original topic. They were like, "Oh my god, Yumi Matsutoya is a right winger," and I'm just like, I honestly think that international fans are. I think for some reason they think that all. Okay, I think that a lot of international fans don't think of Japanese acts in a political sense. But and you have to add to that, particularly now. Yeah, because people now are more, people in, the, in other countries in the West are more like politically aware now. No, 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 that's not what I mean. So what I mean by this is, and this actually ties back to Shinzo Abe. Shinzo Abe um recently has one of the things that he is notoriously infamous for is actually kicking down japan from one of 
the best countries in the world for press freedom, all the way down to 80th. Mm -hmm. You can actually get fired from your position now if you hold critical views of the government as like a public broadcaster. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how popular you are. It doesn't matter how big you are. This is actually why I view some of the criticism of Sashi um, being like somewhat ambivalent about the government in such a like, wow, you guys don't know jack shit about Japan, like, because once you are an MC, once you are a political, once you are a public broadcaster of any kind, right? An anchor on a news channel, like, you know, a commentator on one of those stupid variety shows, right? You have to hold at least neutral views of the government. That is as far as they will allow you. If not to... already has sworn your allegiance. Exactly. And so people are like, oh, why is she hanging out with Abe? Why is she telling other celebrities to maybe like, you know, stay quiet for a bit, right? That's why, because if she didn't say that, she would get fired from all of her programs tomorrow. Like, you know where I'm gonna go with this, but like, why, like, there's, it's no coincidence that Sheena Ringo has had a second resurgence in her career exactly around the same time she became Miss Conservatism. Yeah, because now she can network with the people from Dentsu. And it's actually really funny how far certain people have gotten despite the views and despite the actions they've taken. Like who? Like, for example, so the famous uh, situation was an NHK broadcaster actually got fired from his position because he was way too critical of Abe. That's when Japan really got kicked off the list for press freedom. The person who, res who resurrected that anchor's career is Akimoto Yasushi. How he managed to survive that unscathed, I have no idea. Wasn't it you who told me that Seiko Matsuda is also like an LDP, LDP supporter? I don't think so, but that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I mean, like if the one girl from Speed is like an LDP supporter, like this shouldn't come as a shock that like other people are too. I just don't think people realize how much more willing Asia is to just put up with very obviously dictatorial and fascist things. Like it's, it's not the things that set people off with regards to things that remind them of fascism are not at all related to free press. Speaking you of which, almost, mm -hmm. speaking of which, guess what um, article is currently trending on Arama again? Oh, which one? One of our topics last month: Radwimp's Noda Yojiro accused of promoting eugenics. Ah, uh, yo, I should really translate the the radio segment. The oh, two yeah. of them have so, to get. So by the way, by the way, I got so many DMs about this. Um, so Yojiro is actually a guest on the newest episode of Yuming's radio show. 
I need to look and this people up. were just like, what are they gonna talk about? The eugenicist and the um, Abe apologist. Like, what are they gonna talk about? But the thing yeah, is, though, like, you do that, Hannah. like, eugenics is not a particularly controversial issue in Asia. It's just a very, it's one of those things where, like, clearly, like, somebody high class has to be with somebody high class. And it's like the idea of bad blood is very ingrained in society. <laughs> not, not, that, not, the, not the premise of, like, half of Asian dramas. Yeah, exactly. And so, sorry, poor girl, you can't be with this prince. He has yeah. to marry a princess from another family who his, par- who his parents are friends with or want to combine companies with. Like something like that. It's just very, it's very uncontroversial, right? What surprised me more about the entire thing was that there was a backlash at all. Mm. For me, that was a very pleasant surprise. Mm. And then he went and made um, the best song on his friend's album, his friend who he probably should have said, eh, I don't think he should be born. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. We're speaking of Yunezi Pinchy, who is severely autistic, who technically should not exist in Yojiro's world, but he does and they're friends. Um, but yes, moving on to our next topic, which is going to be Oricon is now going to start counting YouTube in their charts. It was really funny. (laughs) I I will say this, by the way, I will say this, by the way, Billboard already counts YouTube. So in a way, Oricon is just catching up to YouTube. Yep. But continue, Hannah. It was really funny hearing people's freakouts about it. Just like how much people were like, oh my God, like, I can't believe people, um, I can't believe like K-pop's going to take over now. Huh? And at this point, we're like a month into it, and... It, it clearly has not. With one exception, mm-hmm. but it clearly has not. But the thing about YouTube is that, like, if you actually look at who does well on YouTube in Japan, it is very closely in line with who does well on other streaming services already. Yeah. Like, there's not that big of a difference between, like, looking at, like, what's trending on YouTube and like what's doing well on Apple Music or Line Music. Literally, there's no difference. So like this idea that just like, oh my God, the charts are ruined because K-pop fans are gonna go spam everything. It's just, it's just, it's just not true. It's just like not a thing. Which... Not only is it not a thing, it's kind of like, K-pop is already on the J-pop charts. I don't understand what the hell you guys are talking about. It's there, but I think the thing is, though, is that it's it's there. And we're going to talk about, like, something else about that in a moment. There. Not the thing you're thinking about, but another thing. 
it's there, but it's not as if it's like. But it's not. It's not having the thing. Oh my God! What is going on? I think that's the AOC thing in the background. Oh, I forgot. You're watching. You're watching AOC on Switch. I forgot Twitch. I said Switch. Did you really just call Twitch Switch? One second. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm pretty sure you go and play Animal Crossing on Twitch. Your Nintendo Twitch. Oh my God, you boomer! Oh my God, stop! Um, you are such a boomer. Anyways, continue. So the, thing, the thing is, though, is that people were freaking out. Yeah, but there hasn't been that big much of a that that big much. There hasn't been that much of a change. I mean, like, but something that has happened, which. To an extent, I, I see YouTube as the reason why. And this is the part where Hannah is going to spontaneously combust. Hannah, this is the moment you've been waiting for. You finally get to talk about BTS. Okay. okay. So BTS, BTS has been, this, this change has happened. BTS has been number one on streaming because they were number, they were like doing well on stream, but like the YouTube little push that has happened has pushed them to number one and has kept them there on streaming. Before we credit YouTube with it, I will also say that they've been charting very well on everything else too. So it's not just a YouTube thing. Like, they were number one on iTunes. They were number one on Automa. Like, uh, Awa, right? <laughs> they were number one on Automa. I was like, that has never happened. That will never happen. Um, but yeah, like, it's been, it's been charting well all around. And I can kind of see why. It's the very reason why I, I'm not, like, in love with the song. It's great. Okay. It's fine. So, Hannah, so, so let's be honest, Hannah. You called it their worst song ever on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> like, it has nothing about BTS that I like about BTS, right? No rap part, which you said is like kind of just like you were just like. No, no, no. it's not. It's not the rap part. Like, you don't need a rap part to be BTS. What you need is good lyrics and. Dynamite is a very, like, generically happy song. How does it even go? Like, let's blow this shit up like dynamite or something? Something like that. But it's one of those things where it's kind of like, it's a great K-pop song. But if I had given it to any other K-pop group, it kind of would have stayed the same. Right? Whereas, like, you can't give on to another k-pop group and expect it to do well because the lyrics are actually written by the members and so it's not it's not gonna have the same impact because it won't have the same lyrics anymore <laughs> so bts didn't write let's blow this shit up like dynamite. i actually think i actually think um i don't know did rm write this but like whatever it was, it's not gonna have the same impact because it's not going to 
it was me to not be it was me to be a lot more mainstream friendly right because one thing you said about the back going back to the rap thing you were just like this is like bts's like most poppiest song ever no wonder japan actually likes it yeah because like Japan has never been a fan of like straight out rap. And BTS is a very rap heavy group. Like the song that I like the most from them, Spring Day, is like half rap. My favorite members are the freaking rap line. Like it's it's not very Japan friendly. And so oh, the fact that they do wall in Japan is actually very surprising to me. <laughs> we're actually going to like touch a bit on October right now. But like this is also the reason why Blackpink is so fucking irrelevant as far as like actually selling music in Japan. Lovesick Girls did well, but that's because Lovesick Girls also sounds more poppy than any of the other releases they've had as of late. Right. Like, you can tell when you hear a song and you're like, this is meant for mainstream, right? And Dynamite is made for the mainstream. That's why it's charting so well in the United States because the U.S. is, I mean, as much as, like, Westerners love to pride themselves on, like, oh, we're so punk forward, if that punkness comes outside of a preset format, that we allow it to exist in, Westerners can't accept it. What do you mean? Like, if some of the BTS songs were sung in English, I think they'd have a much harder time finding mainstream acceptance. I don't really think BTS has mainstream acceptance. I think the fact that, I think the thing is that BTS basically- I think Dynamite does. I think- think I will say I will say that, but I don't think that like I don't think that BTS really has mainstream acceptance. I think that BTS has a large fan base that pretty much gets them booked on mainstream things. It's very it's very similar to um AKB in Japan, really. Or Johnny. No, like there's a point when your fan base becomes so large that you are the mainstream just in terms of sheer numbers. I look at it as more kind of just like... When 30% of Japan is tuning in for AKB Sosenkyo, you are the mainstream. Okay, but the thing is... There's though, no separation. The thing is, though, is that that hasn't happened in, like, so long. No, I'm saying, like, at the peak, at the peak, AKB was mainstream because of that reason, right? I mean, and so like, right I, now... I will say that, like, I think, like, something like the Billboard Awards, which, like, nobody watches, like, nobody watches that. Besides people yeah, who, like, but, like shit talk it. But then like BTS fans will tune into it and be the main people watching that simply due to the fact that they're on there. But like no one really wants to watch like anybody do these things. They'll like, oh, I'll just watch it on YouTube. I'm not gonna sit there and watch a bunch of like nonsense. But like BTS fans will go and tune into like and watch like the entire show, waiting for BTS to come on, waiting for like little glimpses of them in the audience. No, but like, I'm saying that like they have one mainstream acceptance in that their fan base is simply too large to ignore at this point right when you are even say five percent of the population you are the mainstream you can't say like you can separate out five percent of the population somehow 
doing averages of the rest. That does, that does not work. You are the mainstream. Mm. And so that 5% uh, is probably very okay with BTS's lyrics, but I think the other 95% would have a much harder reaction if they actually knew what they were saying. Because the idea that you can be a pop boy group and talk about some of these things is like mind blowing to some people. They don't understand. It just does not compute. But Dynamite has none of that. And so it's very easy for people to swallow. It's like, um, you know, the, the, the medications. It's basically, it's basically their Genki song. Yeah, it is. It's like one of those medications that they give little children to help them swallow pills. I wasn't a sickly child, I don't know. <laughs> well, there's there's something like that. But anyways, like that's what I think of Dynamite as. I think it's a nice introduction to what um, K-pop can be, but it is not the best aspects of K-pop. Like fluffy nothingness. Eileen, I like it when I'm driving, it's great. But like, this is not what I would consider peak BTS. Peak BTS to me is like, uh, peak BTS to me is like spring day, right? Like, this is not, this is not what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm not here for? Any more BTS talk. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't hate K-pop. I was once a K-pop fan. Okay, okay. I mean, okay, excuse me, ma'am, but I knew about Refund Sisters when you, me and your brother and his girlfriend were talking about it the other night. You were the only person at that table that didn't know about Refund Sisters. Okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, I don't hate K-pop. I still know things. Uh-huh. You're just a BTS fan. Uh-huh. Well, yes, I did just order $150 worth of BTS merch and cried a bit when the concert merch was sold out before I could get to it. But anyways. <laughs> oh, goodness. So um, something that goes back. Oh, by the way, for those who didn't listen to it, we did earlier this month release our female soloist podcast it was um the critically acclaimed podcast special series which um arama reader and arama discord user pigeon pop called essential listening fans yeah yeah oh that's high praise it's high praise because she actually is like our main um, reader who actually is Japanese. So it's kind of- different. There's dozens. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have a number because like a good, a good number of our readers are Japanese, but like she's like the one that actually like will come out and like talk to us about stuff. But- um, Dozens. But the thing is, though, is that um, 
I'm Yellen released her album in September. Yes. And it did well. And this goes back to the thing I said about K-pop before. So she debuted number two behind 17. But um, does anybody care about that 17 album compared to that I'm Yon album? Like sure, Sure, like, outsold her for a sweep, but like, like no one cares that, about that Seventeen album. Not anymore. Like, literally, Seventeen doesn't care about their Seventeen album. They're they're caring about their new Seventeen album, which is actually great. Everyone should listen to it. I love them. Um, but yeah, like, it's one of those things where already physical didn't mean anything like ten years ago, right? Even back in like 2001, most people were buying for the bonuses, right? They had midi shops for a reason. Um, but now it is so irrelevant that you can be number one physical selling and no one will talk about you. <laughs> like the 17 album. Like the 17 album. Or like... I think there wasn't a core single that came out over the summer. No one talks about it except for anime fans. Yeah. Because I was just like, because I said to somebody, I don't know if it was here or Twitter or Discord or whatever. Actually, actually, I think, I think it was on Twitter where I was just like, I was like, I said to somebody, I was like, do you think that like anyone in Japan really cares about the 17 album, even though it beat the Aion album? No, because that Aion album is going to be in the top five for like the next month, the top 10 for like the next two or three months. Meanwhile, the 17 album is gonna fall the top 10 within like two or three weeks. Yeah, and like to their credit, right? I actually think 17 is still in the top 100 streaming, but like it's top 100 streaming. Imeon is still like, she's still holding on to, quite a few of the top 20 although she's fallen a bit right Mm -hmm. because there's just so many other entrants but there was a point at which she was holding a good like nine tenths of the top 10 (laughs) yeah in streaming that that's how powerful she was right and for more I'm Yon Talk, you can listen to the first part of our Rama Japan podcast, Female Solo Special Series, which featured me and Hannah, along with our very special guest. I sound like RuPaul from Drag Race right now. Um, you do. Our very special guest, Kay and Timo. And then we have the second part of the podcast. So the first part was about like, the new generation girls with a focus on Aimeon and also talking a bit about the importance of lyrics and karaoke. And then the second part was about like the old generation girls. And our guest for that was like, um, was Brett, who I called the leader of hag Twitter. He is the leader of the hag Twitter. Um, citizens and during that he talked about just like his favorite hags why people like the hags excuse me why people like the hags and um 
it was a good time. Everybody had a good time. Uh, we did, our guests did. And so if you haven't listened to it, you have to listen to this Essential Listening Critically Acclaimed podcast series. But um, winding down this episode, Hannah, what were your faves in September? Okay, so unlike Ronald, September was just a continuation of how fucking fantastic this summer has been, right? Because we had so many good, like, idol and anime releases all throughout September that I was basically very, very well fed for the entirety of the month. But what I have to show is the music associated with Denonbu. I have never seen, I've never been this enthralled by any song in a very, very long time. This where is I did, this is very shocking because usually what happens is I'll go to a live where I really like the atmosphere and then the music later will remind me of this atmosphere and therefore I like it, right? Liking the music first for any song is actually kind of rare. Um, and to add like even more incentive, this is the closest you will get to a Suyobi no Campanella comeback in three years. So go check it out. I have like a million playlists. If you don't know where to find it, just tweet at me. I will gladly share every single one of them for you. But please, it was so good. It was amazing. It was it was the best thing since sliced bread. That's how good it was. Is there anything else you really enjoyed in September? I mean, that would take like millions of hours. But so the man behind Negiko is this genius named Connie. He's absolutely brilliant. Everyone should follow him. But he also makes a series of albums called Voices. And he just released the second one in September. In addition to having probably one of the best solo idol releases of the year and how he manages to do this every time is like kind of fascinating to me. But definitely check out Voices. Although check out Denonbu first. Denonbu. Denonbu. Hmm. And so what, something Hannah alluded to, so we were talking about this earlier, just like, well, what are you, I asked her, just like, what are your faves for September? And she had like things she wanted to talk about. And I was like, honestly, I feel like September kind of sucked release-wise. Boo! Boo! I feel like it sucked release-wise. And it's kind of just like, eh. Like, I feel like, so I was looking at like- Fake what news. I was listening to what, I was looking at what I listened to the most in September. And it was like basically like the goodness that was August. Like my most played artist, my most played artist in August in September. I mean September was the Bad Hop album that came out in August. Fake news. If you want to know like what I was listening to in September, just go and check out what I was listening to in August at the end of the last podcast. So it was basically just like Bad Hop and J One and a couple of other things. And then the Geeko single. 
So yeah. Yes, that's that's more Connie. Connie's great. No, that one was not Connie. Actually, that one. The reason Connie was the producer. Not of the Nagiko single. Yeah, he was the producer for the Nagiko single. No, he wasn't. It was um Hitomi Toyin Park Golf. That's why I listened to it. No, he hired them for it. He's the general manager producer of the sound. He's an executive producer. But I'm talking about when I say producer, I'm talking about just like the actually he had no musical parts of it because the song was written. The lyrics are lyrics are, lyrics are by Hitomi Toy. Composition is by Park Golf and Hitomi Toy, and the actual um, arrangement is by Park Golf. Yeah, like they were hired for it. He executive produced it. He's not like an actual like he doesn't really like control the music for it. No, he's a musical producer for Nikiko. So like, if they were hired for it, he signs off on that. Yeah, but he's not actually making the music. It's not his vision. Oh, no, it's definitely his vision. It's the same thing as having, like, Aki P on a single. You know he, he's the he, one saying everything. He was commissioned. He commissioned them. He didn't actually, like, yes. make it. So yes, it just totally I'll different. agree with that. Anyways. Anyways. Any I'm just saying. Oh, any closing words, Hannah? Ronald is full of fake news. September was great. September was very, very good. I think this. Go will be, listen. I think this is going to become a solo podcast. <laughs> I think that's the new wave. We're going to have a, a Rama Japan solo podcast. What? With a, with a revolving guest each month. I will find somebody new to be co-host. <gasps> it's, kind of, it's kind of like when somebody leaves a band and you have like a touring guitarist or a touring drum player. I think. Because I'm being bullied. <laughs> You're not being bullied. Um, oh my God. You know, I just thought about something that happened in September. Not that the actual single was of any note. But um, Perfume released their single. And they had a billboard in Times Square. Uh, time Warp? Yeah, I didn't really like the single. I think I listened to it like three times. Like the single wasn't all that interesting. I mean, the B side was already out for a while. Um, I forgot what it was called, but that was cool. But like they had a billboard in Times Square by Amazon Music. I think that was really cool. Oh yeah, that was really cool. We took um just continuing continuing this wave of Japanese music promotion in Times Square. Japan, Times, Times Square is now the center of Japanese music. <laughs> I mean, way. okay, to be frank though, perfume actually makes sense. <laughs> Arashi didn't make sense with Spotify. Oh hell no. Why not? Oh yeah, that oh, we just we we literally talked about that for like 20 minutes about why they should not triggering. <laughs> we literally just talked about that. But yeah, I think like I think the Hirano show should have been up there with the rest of um, King and Prince. Someday I'll get King and Prince on Spotify, but clearly it is not today. <laughs> Amazing night. Oh my God, that reminds me. People said I should stop singing on the podcast. They don't want to hear how tone deaf we are. Oh my God. I'm tone deaf. 
Actually, I have something that I like for um, September now that I think about it. It wasn't a release. It was, it was actually an interview. What? The interview that Hoshino Gen did with Flood Magazine. Um, yeah, that was really good. Wait, you should talk about it. Let's take so, five minutes to talk about it. So um, basically, I said it was one of the best English language interviews I have seen somebody do with a Japanese musician because basically... Okay, I was accused on on I was accused on Arama comments by some hater of being a SJW. We are is, both SJWs for the record. Mm, I, I am more of one than you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm not easily offended by things. Cause you always try you, you you always try pointing things out to me that are offensive, and I'm just like, okay. And like when you said the Misha concert was racist. Yeah, it definitely was. It definitely wasn't. <sighs> Fake news. So basically what happened was that they asked Toshino again about Black Lives Matter. And he was just like talking about just like how he supports it and how he's watching like 13, the Ava DuVernay documentary about um, mass incarceration and basically slave labor in prisons that happened in the American prison system after slavery ended, how slavery still exists within our prison system because you have prisoners who are basically working for essentially free, free labor. That's a really, really well thought out answer. Like, I don't think some Americans can't give that answer. Yeah. I was like, look at Hoshino again talking about the American prison industrial complex. Okay. And then they also asked him about cultural appropriation, about how his music is influenced by Black music. And he was just like, I named my album Yellow Dancer. I actually need to pull that interview up. So I just want to like read exactly what he said. Because it was actually really, really good. Like, I think I it's can't hard earlier. It's hard, I think, to find a better explanation for the difference between when something becomes appropriation and when something is actually appreciation, right? Like this is this is clearly a context of appreciation. And when you read how he thinks about it and what he says. It, it very much falls into the appreciation aspect. Okay. Your solo work bounces. Okay, that's not the right part. Okay, this is the right part. Your solo album, Yellow Dancer, features a very Black American sound. Some people would consider this kind of thing cultural appropriation, while other people feel it's just influence. I'm curious how you feel about that. I like to talk a little about my musical roots, stemming largely from, this is the part that killed me, um, stemming largely from the movie The Blues Brothers, which I watched growing up. I'm like, oh my god. Okay, let's ignore that part for a little bit. <laughs> not, not Hoshino Gen's like musical roots being an SNL skit turned movie. <laughs> it's literally a joke that like writes itself. <laughs> um, but getting into the main part. 
through that movie, I came into contact with R&B, blues, and jazz, and I felt I was awakened to the sheer fun of music. When my parents were younger, they aimed to be jazz musicians, so they played modern jazz and R&B every day around the house. I wanted to make something similar to these, those roots of mine, and that became Yellow Dancer. I really love to dance, but there's this impression that Japanese people are really fundamentally bad at dancing. And that at a concert, the, the attendees would look around at each other before getting down to dance. There aren't many people who dance in their own unique way. I wanted Japanese people to dance freely. And with the name, and with that thought in mind, I gave Yellow Dancer its name. At the time, I incorporated elements of Black music into my work with my desire to see Japanese people dance. I ended up calling my music Yellow Music. It wasn't because I wanted to plagiarize or appropriate Black culture. I wanted the Japanese listeners in the Japanese market to turn their heads towards my music and my strong desire for them to dance. Now that I think about it, it was wrong for me to give it that name. The album Yellow Dancer was strongly influenced by Black music, but was also influenced by music from many other cultures that I love, including Japan. It's absolutely impossible for me to paint my music, which was made by assimilating all these different sources of inspiration to that one color, yellow. And then this is the next question. Are you aware that the, what's going on in the United States in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement? Yes, I'm aware of the Black Lives Matter movement and fully su and support it in, and I'm fully in support of it, sorry. From the bottom of my heart, I want all forms of discrimination to disappear. There's still a lot that I don't know about BLM and I want to become more knowledgeable about the history and the people involved. And because of that, I've been reading books on the subject and watching the news closely. In Japan, there isn't much news about BLM and the little information actually gets through. I'm always thinking about how I can share that, share what I've learned with my fans. That's why on Instagram, I've been posting links to movies like the 13th and a variety of articles and books related to what I've learned. And as I said earlier, okay, this is me now, not Gen. And like I said earlier, that is a documentary that Ava DuVernay made about how basically the US prison system is ran, uses slave labor basically. Because basically, like, basically what happened is that after slavery ended, it was just like, oh, we'll just use prisoners for free labor. And a lot of those prisoners are black. So yep. a lot of people see it as like a continuation of slavery because like a lot of black people are treated differently when it comes to law. And so they end up in prison and they end up using their labor, giving away their labor in prison. And like this June, like by this dude, I mean Hoshino Gen, doesn't even talk about the fact that he literally talks about, he tries to educate people about BLM on his weekly radio show, which reaches like thousand, like probably millions of Japanese people every year on a weekly basis. So he's not kidding when he says, I'm trying to educate other people as I get educated. Like, it's just, it's a great interview. Everyone should read it. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I, I read it and I was just like, this is like the, one of like, is this the best interview in English of a Japanese artist I've ever read? I think it may be. I think it is, right? Like, I think it might actually top... Okay, no. It's hard to compare a documentary with an interview. 
but it gets close. What documentary are you thinking of? The X Japan one that debuted at South by Southwest. I thought you were going to talk about, um, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> I know where you're going and no. I thought you were going to talk about Coda. Uh... <laughs> the Ryuji Sakamoto documentary, which we are not going to get into. Me and, okay, I'll just say it. Me and Hannah have a long time debate because she incorrectly thinks that like, Yoshiki is actually some kind of figure in the West. While, fake news. While Sakamoto Ronald clearly, is Sakamoto Ronald is fake news. Is. Sakamoto clearly is because like Mariah Carey recently recently released the rarities, which includes the original version of her number one single, Lover. Actually, I don't think it got to number one. It includes the original version of her hit single Lover Boy, which features the Sample from Yellow Magic Orchestra, Sakamoto's band, their song Firecracker. So, yeah. Like, I'm not saying he's not a figure. I'm just saying Yoshiki is also a figure, even if you don't recognize him. Yoshiki is best known for being that woman whose scarf blew in Queen Elizabeth's face. That's the main thing he's known for in the West. He's a woman. That whose scarf blew in Queen Elizabeth's face. Just because you hate rock and metal does. All right. And that wraps up September. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Good night. Good night.